I'm Victoria Doherty, and welcome to the cold. Cold is the way revenge is best served, the way a war was fought, and the way a story should be told. Lily put the papers down and folded her hands. She couldn't bear sitting for another moment. Tucking Fido's Sputnik translation into her coat pocket, Lily ran outside. There, in the front yard of the library, she found shelter under the very stars and moon the Soviets and Americans were hoping to claim. She located Venus immediately, and the planets stared back at her while the surrounding stars twinkled. The moon nearly full, was bone white. It was an unspeakably clear and beautiful night, serene, deceptive. Lily had never wanted the dawn more. She went over to the one great Manchurian maple in the Lavra and sat at its foot, leaning against its trunk and hugging her knees. Peering through the maple's paper-thin leaves, Lily made a wish on the moon, as her father had taught her when she was a little girl. The moon is the closest thing to God's face, he told her. I don't talk much about faith uh, on this podcast, or I don't write much about it on my blog, but it it is certainly a, a strange and evolving part of my life, and it makes its way into every book I write in one manner or another, perhaps in the form of um, magic realism or um, ghosts, but there's always some spiritual element to it, and um, it's a part of my life, at least, that I find endlessly fascinating and necessary and confusing, sometimes troubling, but consistent. And certainly as everything has been evolving on the news and we are watching Ukrainian refugees spill out into the world, trying to find shelter. We're watching people being killed. We are wondering what this means for the world at large. Um, it, you know, it's, it, it's, I think, been a time for prayer, at least for me, because I don't even pretend to know what the geo, the global geopolitical forces um what they are in this <laughs> and and uh you know what we should or should not be doing and i look to that inner voice at times like this to guide me and i think about how it is that um that faith has stalked me through my life and the role that it has 
in my life and society. I mean, it's like my switch from non-believer to believer. It, it's it really has been much more of a slow evolution than a short, sharp shock. Um, you know, the kind of blinding light that followed um, that followed Saint Paul on his uh, on on the road to Damascus when he, you know, experienced the voice of Christ's conversion there. Um, well, that's, that's not me. In fact, years ago, my, my conversation with God began at the gym and it was definitely one-sided. I was lifting this 10 pound weight, trying to beef up my left bicep, letting my mind run wild and thinking about this story I'd just begun writing and you know, wondering whether I wanted to make roast chicken or lasagna for dinner or whatever, and 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 plotting my husband's and my next adventure. We were childless and newly married at the time, and we'd just moved to San Francisco the previous year, and we were taking some sort of little road trip almost every weekend. Often it was my job to dream these up. So as I switched the weight from my left hand to my right hand, it suddenly occurred to me that while I lived my exterior life with tremendous imagination, that very moment I was contemplating a trip to Bodega Bay, which is where Hitchcock's The Birds was filmed. So here I was, you know, plotting out this very sort of esoteric, creative trip, and I realized that I did not approach my spiritual life with that same creative vision. In fact, in fact, I approached my spiritual life much more like a bureaucrat. Out of a combination of laziness and frankly smugness, I stamped a big no into the box for belief. So for the first time since my senior year in high school, I cleared my throat and in my mind's voice, I said, Hello? Is anybody there? And the simple answer was no. But for some reason, I didn't stop asking the question. Every few months or weeks, I would basically just say, Hi there, and wait to see what would happen. And, well, nothing happened. It wasn't until some two years later when I actually decided to do something about my lame attempts at seeking God. I was in this bookstore in the Castro district of San Francisco, and I was with my nearly eight-month-old son looking for a book of poetry to give a friend for his birthday. And I mean, I hate choosing, choosing poetry for people because it's so personal. It's, it's like picking out their underwear. But when you get it right, you're able to add something of real value to their lives. Maybe a thought, a metaphor, or a validation of a buried dream that will travel with them always. And I want to do, I really wanted to do that for this friend. But I was struggling. You should try William Carlos Williams, a man next to me said, and he handed me a copy of collected poems. It's for a friend, I said, casually flipping through the book. I'd never read William Carlos Williams, and for some reason, I didn't want to. 
Oh, the wonderful poems, the man said with this genuine emotion. He looked at my young son. I'm a Catholic priest. Would you mind if I blessed your son? Huh. I should mention at this point that my husband and I left the Catholic Church in a huff, separately, during our college years. We were angry with their treatment of women, their refusal to sanction birth control in even the most poverty-stricken countries, and their overall holier-than-thou attitude about everything. Our marriage was a civil ceremony, as we had no intention of going through the required pre-cana. Uh, Pre-cana is basically premarital couples counseling officiated by a Catholic priest, and it precipitates any Catholic marriage. And we had recently been congratulating ourselves for having left the church, given the pedophilia scandal it was embroiled in at the time. But we did want to give our son some spiritual grounding. So we'd looked into Buddhism, but we're not groovy enough. Uh, Judaism, but we're only each a quarter Jewish and we're not raised in that tradition. And at the Unitarian Church, which was too Protestant for us, which is something probably only a Catholic would understand. Anyway, I looked at this Catholic priest standing next to me, dressed in a sweater, a raincoat, jeans, and a fedora. And he seemed nice. And I'd let a transsexual healer fresh from an all-nighter bless my pregnant belly some months back, so why not a poetry-loving priest? Sure, I said. He asked me my son's name. Eamon Francis Doherty. Oh, you're Catholic! Busted. Mm-hmm. Where do you go to church? Um, we're kind of new to San Francisco, I explained. We're still looking around. How long have you been here? He asked. I felt like a little kid again. Actually, three years. He didn't judge. And he didn't miss a beat. You must try St. Gabriel's, the priest told me. You'll love it. The nine o'clock mass is perfect for children. Really, any mass there is, but that's the one families most attend. To make a long story a little less long, I strode through my front door with a book of poems by William Carlos Williams stuffed into my armpit and told my husband, we're going to church on Sunday. Regardless of our recent meanderings, he knew exactly what I meant by church. Just go with me on this. Okay, he said. I wish I could remember the homily on that next Sunday when we attended mass at St. Gabriel's, but I can't. I only know that it was soulful, beautiful, relevant, and utterly down to earth at the same time. I do remember the priest saying, there's a lot of noise in here today, giggling and whispering from the children, crying. And I want you all to know that if this is bothering you, then I'm afraid you're in the wrong church. For the first time in our entire lives, although we'd attended years of Catholic school and hundreds of masses, my husband and I had a moving experience during a service. 
We became regulars at St. Gabriel's, even if we couldn't quite call ourselves believers yet. That would come a long way down the road. But we made friends with the man I'd met at the bookshop, Father John. And shortly after my son's first birthday, we did what we'd swore we'd never do. We had him baptized in the Catholic Church. When Father John sprinkled holy water on Eamon's still bald head during the ceremony, he said, Eamon Francis Doherty, you are a poet, a priest, and a king. My husband's eyes welled up. He still says that to our son, even though our son is 20 years old. He comes over for dinner. On his way out the door, my son, or my husband will say to my son, Eamon Francis Doherty, you are a poet, a priest, and a king. <laughs> it would be years before I would hear anything even resembling an answer to the tentative greeting I offered God at the gym so long ago. Before I could actually call myself a Catholic with a straight face, to be perfectly honest, or even a believer in anything other than strong values, love, and good citizenship. I would be at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in a grieving room that was offered to me while my new baby underwent a life or death surgery, one of several she'd already been through, but this time I felt at the end of my rope. I was rolled up in fetal position on a cot and my hands were folded together so tightly that my fingers had gone numb. And in the morning when the nurse came to get me, I would actually have trouble prying them apart. But that night, I finally heard something. And no, it wasn't a voice. I guess it was more of a feeling than a sound. It was what I can only describe as the heartbeat of the universe. It was a notion, a hunch, an impression, I don't know but one that without saying a word told me that I was a part of it and that no matter what the outcome of my daughter's surgery would be, my family was safe. Now I didn't spring into that next day with all of my problems solved, nor were the next few years a breeze because I'd had this experience, but I did feel different. I felt stronger and like anything was possible. And by that, I mean even the worst I could possibly imagine. And I understood for the first time what it meant, doubtlessly, categorically, to love. I think about this experience Every time I see something really devastating happening in the world, I thought about it. After Haiti experienced that devastating earthquake, think about it when I hear about 
bombs being dropped anywhere or people being persecuted for their religion or for any reason for that matter and I'm certainly thinking about it now as I'm watching so many people in pain on the news and I'm wondering how often it is that they are praying so hard that they have trouble prying their hands apart and that they are perhaps praying for the first time in a long time or first time ever if they are looking for something if they are trying to tap into that heartbeat of the universe for help I think that for me at least prayer is that unseen web that ties us together and I hope that when I say my weird, awkward prayers that I have still not mastered. I'm still a very clumsy believer, and I certainly have no interest in pushing my beliefs on anyone else. This is really just what I'm thinking about. But I do hope that when I'm saying my, my prayers, that they are able to reach others because that to me is what makes us human and binds us together. So until next week, stay cold, my friends. Stay close. forgot to add the passage at the beginning of this podcast was from the Hungarian which is a Cold War historical thriller um, that I wrote several years ago and it takes place in 1956 and involves the space race hence the mention of Sputnik and um, also has a very distinctly spiritual element to it. And I just thought it would make for an interesting introduction to our podcast today. So thank you. And again, stay cold. <laughs>